Good morning to you. How are you? It is such a pleasure to be here this morning and to be talking to you particularly about transfiguration, which is a funny word that you don't use regularly in your life, or maybe you do. I'd like to talk to you about that and how you use it. But the question this morning is, what does transfiguration mean? And it kind of means, it can mean a lot of things, but there's a couple things that, that immediately come to my mind. First, I love transfiguration because if there's ever a point in the Bible where we are told to shut our mouths and listen, this is it. Literally, it is spoken from heaven to Peter. Close your mouth and listen. Don't be concerned about what you're doing or what you should be building or how you should be talking. Just listen to Jesus. And so as I share with the kids, we're here to listen to Jesus, to hear his word, to, to hear his grace in baptism, to receive it in communion. But then there's this other part of transfiguration that has always, always fascinated me. Is that when Peter says, let's build a tent for it's good for us to be here. And then he's told to be quiet and listen. What is said is, no, it's good, but let's go back down that mountain. And, and we sang it in the song, in the first hymn this morning. What does it mean to walk down from the Mount of Transfiguration? What does it mean to come here into Jesus' presence and then yet live in light of the Transfiguration when we walk out these doors? And today what we're going to do is we're going to take that idea of what transfiguration is and what does it mean and, and kind of continue in your conversation about Luther's small catechism, this little handbook that he wrote about the Christian faith. And, and he covers baptism and the Lord's Supper and the Word and the Ten Commandments and all these things. And then he's got this weird part it's near the end. It's called the Table of Duties. The Table of Duties. And in this, Luther breaks down what the Christian life looks like what it means in the context of our many different callings. And so to think about this and think about transfiguration and what it means in light of the table of duties, we're going to have to talk a little bit about what transfiguration actually is. I'm going to quote Archbishop Desmond Tutu. He's a, a son of South Africa and, and perhaps a fitting mentor for us gathered here today because he speaks of what he calls the principle of transfiguration. He said, nothing, nothing and no one and no situation is untransfigurable for Christ, that the whole of creation and nature waits expectantly for its transfiguration when it will be translucent with divine glory, translucent, translucent with divine glory, filled with God's wonder. When the thin veneer of this world and its reality is permeated by the holy light of the presence of God. And further, reflecting on the descent of the disciples from the Mount of Transfiguration and, and later on the Mount of Ascension, where Jesus does the craziest thing ever after dying and rising from the grave and literally defeating sin, death, and the devil says, here, y'all take care of it. I love Jesus and he's awesome, but his managerial principles might be a little off. I mean, have you seen us? We're pretty horrible, okay? But, but Tutu's reflecting on that and why, if the glory of God comes in Jesus, if all things are set right in Jesus, why does he hand the work of restoration and transfiguration to you and to me? Why would he do something? And Tutu says this, he says, we today are called to collaborate with Christ as he works to bring the ultimate transfiguration of the world. He says, moments of transfiguration, if we're open to them, recognize them and lean into them, recruit us to be agents of transformation on the ground. And that ground can be those brief moments wherein we may be called to serve a person in passing 
people I call extras in our lives. You ever seen the, the list of extras in a movie? The people you don't pay attention to? You know, the store clerk? The person you cut off on the way to church this morning? Or the person who cut you off on the way to church this morning? God bless them. Don't blame pastor. He was in a rush. All of these people that we don't notice, maybe that's the ground we're called to, to work, the fertile soil where transfiguration might be possible. Or it might be the teller at the grocery store, the person visibly upset in the hallway at work or school. It could be untold numbers of people. It could even be your family or your friends. These are all fertile ground for seeing the seeds of transfiguration planted in this world. And, and I believe that these moments of transfiguration set us on, on, a, on a God-ordained course, but also whet our appetite for the consummation, for the ultimate transfiguration of the world when Christ will return and restore all things unto himself and his light will be the light for the nations, we are told. But between these bookends of transfiguration, when he was transfigured on the mount and when he will transfigure the whole world, we're invited to step into many different callings to transfigure the world today. And we might begin with the table of duties that Luther writes out in the small catechism. I'm not going to go too in-depth into each of these, but, but I love the progression that he works with. He starts with bishops and, and overseers of the church and then, and then pastors and preachers. And then, and then I love this because you can tell he's a pastor because then after he talks about what the pastors and preachers should do, he then talks about, to quote, what the hearers owe their pastors. Yeah, basically, listen, maybe don't fall asleep, but we owe you an interesting sermon, I would reckon. Okay, but yeah, he continues on and then he talks about civil government and citizens of husbands and wives to parents and children and then workers of all kinds to employees and supervisors to the youths, to the widows. And then this last part to everyone. He gets to the end of this list of Leaders and, and followers of husbands and wives, of, of youth and the old, of all different types of people. And then he says, just to everyone. Because Luther realized you can't limit the duties of a Christian to any particular job or any particular calling. Because we are called in so many ways. How many hats do you wear? Because I wear lots of hats, right? I'm a, I'm a son of God. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm, I'm a husband. I'm a son. I'm a brother. I'm a friend. I'm a student. I'm a pastor. I'm a speaker. I'm a writer. I'm a board member. I'm a random person walking on the street. And each of them, each of them is a calling from God. Each of them a potential moment for transfiguration. The Apostle Paul wrote, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And I was asked a few years ago when I was a volunteer employee at a brewery, if I could perhaps pour beer to the glory of God. It was met with a resounding yes and an amen. Luther was rumored to have said that the maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. But could this extend to the bar, I was asked. And I said, yeah, the brewery that I work at, that I volunteer at, is a calling because I'm called by God no matter where I am and what I'm doing, Right? But the key is that to pour beer for the glory of God is, is pretty simple. This is what I told my friend. I said, well, when someone comes up and asks for a beer and I want to serve God in that, I offer a smile. I'm friendly to whoever saunters up to the bar. I give suggestions for a good draft. And when I pour it, I, I tilt it at a 45 degree angle. So the, the beer isn't pouring too fast or too deep or too slow. And then I lift it up right near the end. So I get that one inch head that is so wonderful and beautiful to each and every beer. 
perhaps I take a swig of my own beer and then I repeat, glory to God. Now, when I was working at this brewery, people often ask, okay, yeah, but how can you actually work towards transfiguration in this stuff? Well, my very first time pouring beer, I used to just sell the tickets at the front door. But then when I was pouring beer, the very first time, I was working next to somebody who we started a conversation and, and her husband was down the bar as well. And we started talking and it very turned into, hmm, just say some private conversations about things and how this married couple have what is called an open relationship. It was uncomfortable to say the least. And I didn't know what to do. Surprisingly, did not have a class in seminary about what you do in this situation. <laughs> and so I just kind of was like, uh-huh. Oh, how interesting. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Drink more beer. Ah, this is crazy. And then I just kind of let it go. They let it go. We continued on in our friendship for a few months. But then a few months down the road, the church I was working at at the time decided to have a fundraiser for their youth group. They were going to the, this national youth gathering for the church body. And it was in Houston, Texas. So it was a big crawfish boil. And the big crawfish bowl came, and I was there pouring beer to the glory of God, and there were a bunch of people from my church there. And so I was working next to this woman that I told you about earlier, and all these people are coming up, and they're like, hey, preacher, get me a beer. And then they'd chuckle and laugh, and the next person would say, I can't believe my pastor's pouring me a beer. All these people are making these jokes, and finally there's a little lull in the flow, and she looks at me, and she's like, why is everyone calling you preacher? Is that a nickname? I said, less of a nickname more of a profession. And then all of a sudden, her face just lit up with the realization of that conversation we'd had four months ago, what my job was, and who she was staring at. And I looked at her and I said, it's cool. It's cool. We're all right. And she's like, are we all right? I was like, yeah, we're all right. She's like, let's talk more about that later. So then we continue pouring beer. And over the next couple of months, we had more and more conversations. And I heard from, from her husband and from her that they had never been to a church in their entire lives, except for a wedding or a funeral. And they even tried to avoid those because they thought the church was weird, which most of the time it is. Okay. And they thought they would never want to go. And I says, well, you may be surprised what you find when you go there. And a couple of weeks after that, it's been like six months that I've known these people now. We were having a, a night out is what we called it at our church, where there were a group of us who were on the streets in, in, in Houston, Texas. Uh, we, had, we had cultivated relationships with people who lived under bridges and, and who spent their time on the streets. And we were out there that night talking to them, interacting with them. And the youth group was back at the church, spending the night at the church, collecting donations for these folks that we would then take out to them wherever they were in the city and interact with them. And I was out under a bridge talking to some guy and I got a text from somebody. He said, hey, you got a friend here who just brought a truckload of Snuggies. I was, I was, you, you remember Snuggies? Do you have Snuggies? They're the things that, that, that are blankets and yet also cloaks and bathrobes and, and horrendous looking things. That, that's what they are. And they said they had a truckload of Snuggies. So I was interested. I was interested. And I, and I said, okay, I'm coming back immediately. And so I drove back and I get there. And, and here's the guy and, and his wife. And they, they had said, we saw on your Facebook page that you were doing this tonight. And we thought we'd bring by our Snuggies because we've got tons of Snuggies. And I was like, don't even tell me why. I don't want to know. <laughs> but thank you for the Snuggies. And they pull out all the boxes of Snuggies, 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 Snuggies. And then the last thing, appropriately, is this 24-pack of beer. 
And they said, you know what we thought? You know, yeah, people living under bridges probably want Snuggies, but they probably also want beer. Do you guys want to take beer out to them? And I was like, sure. <laughs> and so we took it and, and, and we, we added it to the donations and I stuck around for a few minutes afterwards. And, uh, and he said, he's like, man, that was really cool. And I was like, yeah, why was it so cool? And he's like, well, I, I feel like I made a difference tonight. You know, like you said, you took that Snuggie out to somebody and they're immediately going to be warm because I feel like I was participating in something bigger than myself. And I was like, yeah, imagine that. And so here was this guy. Here was this guy because somebody was pouring beer and somebody was drinking beer because there were conversations had because it was more of a nickname or it was more of a profession rather than a nickname. And because they had a truckload of Snuggies and they wanted to bring past the beer that suddenly we were together participating in the transfiguration of the world. That something bigger beyond us was happening, that God was working through a strange motley crew of people that included this couple with an open relationship, a truckload of Snuggies, a church in Houston, a guy under a bridge, and then this dude. And so if God can start working in the world through that, he could probably work through any of us in any situations. Don't you reckon? So the invitation this morning is that we who come here who come and, and, and enjoy Jesus' presence as we receive his gifts, where he is, he is shown to us in water and in the word and in the bread and in the wine. And as our lives, lives are changed and transformed and transfigured from ones of sin, destined for death, controlled by Satan and the world and its temptations into something that is perfect and full of life and dictated by God and his blessings. My hope is that this experience of, of, of the exciting sanctuary and the mysterious mountaintop where Jesus is transfigured before us in word and sacrament doesn't stop here, but continues as we go out. That we not treat this space as somehow effectively, totally different from those spaces and, and spaces in your life. Where you are a father or a brother or, or a sister or a mother or a son or a daughter or a friend or someone who pours beer. And so as we step away from his presence this morning. My prayer is that we would desire that we might leave change to then perhaps participate in the change of the world. That this might be our deepest desire. That we, who are blessed by God, might then be a blessing to others and together work towards the restoration of all things. As we do so, take courage in this promise that God is restoring, reconciling, and recreating all things in heaven and on earth according to his vision and dream for our world. And so trusting in God's mysterious work through which he is transforming creation in its entirety, the least and the best we can do is position our lives to be on a parallel trajectory of transfiguration with him and others. Amen.